inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thanks for listening to my podcast about horse training, equestrian sports, and building a better connection with your horse. It's time for Ride On with Julie Goodnight. Last month, I told you that I've set a goal to breed my sweet little mare, Annie, this spring for a 2024 foal. And we've started getting things ready now. I moved her to a new stall. It's the largest stall in my barn. It's the size of a foaling stall. And we have installed lights so that we can time the amount of daylight she gets every day. Basically, the target is to make sure that the horse only has eight hours of darkness as she would come springtime. So the amount of daylight stimulates ovulation in the mare who tends to only ovulate in the spring. And so that mimic of daylight helps kind of trick her body into coming into heat, hopefully a little bit early so that we can, um, you know, get her pre-breeding exam accomplished in a couple of other things. So the funny thing was just this very small change of moving her in my four stall barn from the fourth stall to the second stall. She went from being on one side of her buddy to the other side of her buddy in a larger stall. Just that little change caused a flare-up in ulcers with Annie. Now, Annie is not a horse that's super prone to ulcers. She's certainly not a horse that overstresses or is hot-blooded in any way. She's just not particularly prone to ulcers. However, um, she ended up with a little flare-up. She let us know she was not feeling well at all. She, you know, rarely shows uh, any signs of puniness or depression. So we immediately started her on the ulcer medication, omeprazole. We always keep it in the barn. We have some horses that stay on it all the time. And, you know, within days, she was back to herself. And after a couple of weeks of treatment, she seems fine now. So I just think it's interesting how such a seemingly insignificant change in her uh, situation, her accommodation could cause such a flare-up. And lately, I've just talked to so many people that are really surprised to discover their horse might be suffering from ulcers. The symptoms are so kind of all over the map and uh, many, many training problems could actually be, you know, the result of ulcers. Or the vet put them on ulcer treatment and they were surprised. Generally, you'll see a significant improvement um, in those horses. So the more research is done, the more we learn about equine ulcers, um, the more we realize how pervasive they are. Personally, I treat all of our horses proactively, although I didn't think to do it in this instance because I didn't recognize it as a huge change for her, although they say changes to her dynamics are one of the largest stressors in a horse's life. So I probably should have thought of it. Anyway, she's she's fine now after a couple of weeks of treatment and she's used to her new stall and she seems happy there. 
and she's looking great. So um, more about that later. This year is shaping up nicely for me. My clinic and expo schedule is full and I'm super excited about all the fun adventures I'm going on this year. I have a full slate of events with Let's see, three riding clinics in Colorado at the world-famous Z-Lazy U Ranch. I love going there. Plus, I've got horse expos in Iowa, Ohio, and Massachusetts. I've got a horsemanship clinic in Oregon, plus two riding tours in Ireland this year. So for more information on that and for details on my upcoming events, just visit juliegoodnight.com events. And be the first to know when new ones are added when you sign up for my weekly newsletter at juliegoodnight.com news. You'll also get brand new training articles and podcast episodes as soon as they're released, exclusive deals and updates from me. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Julie Goodnight. We're at step three of worst goals or bust, and this month, it's all about physical conditioning. In my blog, I talked about rider fitness, which I'll touch on in today's podcast, but my main focus will be on evaluating your horse's current fitness level and developing a customized fitness plan that will help your horse get stronger, prevent injury, and help him perform better. When it comes to horse and rider fitness, first question you might ask is, why is this important? How, how does this impact me? No matter what your goals are, large or small, if you're riding horses and working with horses on a daily basis, your fitness matters a lot. This is a sport that requires athleticism. Your fitness level will have an impact on your ability level. In other words, as you learn and gain new skills and refine the skills you already have, uh, your fitness level will come into play in that. Things will become easier when you're stronger and have more endurance. And obviously that helps expedite the learning path a little bit. Most importantly, I think fitness is important for injury prevention and in oh so many ways. We need to have regular exercise in order to not only build muscle, but to strengthen bones and ligaments and tendons. That soft tissue and skeletal tissue takes a lot longer to condition than simply building muscle. So as you embark on a regular exercise plan for you or your horse, it's going to help strengthen these different physiological systems in the body that will help prevent injury. On a much different scale, fitness could potentially help prevent injury because let's say you were able to stay on a horse that was stumbling or bucking when otherwise you might have fallen off. Let's say you had a greater endurance that allowed you to ride through a horse that was getting strong on you or running off with you. If you built coordination and agility and core strength, your ability to stay on the horse and not get hurt in physical situations is going to be huge. For your horse, the same thing occurs. Uh, he stumbles less. He's, his joints, bones, ligaments, tendons, and muscles are stronger. He builds cardio fitness, so he's able to train at a higher level, sustain 
intense activity for longer durations, and so on and so forth. So there's lots of reasons why fitness is important. And again, I'm going to tell you again and again and again, it is not to say that you can only do this if you're fit. And it is not to say that your horse will only perform if he's fit. It's not that way at all. It's that any incremental improvement in your physicality is going to help you with such a physical sport. Let's take a look at just handling and working with horses. And and I like to say working for horses as their, you know, housekeeper and chef and valet and all of that, hairdresser. So when you're handling and working with horses or working for horses, in general, this tends to be very physical. You're picking up hay, you're loading 50 pounds, sacks of grain and water buckets, cleaning stalls, shoveling, dumping wheelbarrows. It's a lot of physical effort involved. Not only that, but if you're like doing any kind of horse training and you're working with untrained horses or young horses or very fractious horses, just the handling of the horses can be very physical. Demanding on your body requires strength and coordination. And let me underscore requiring strength and coordination. The better you learn to use your body, the better able you are to actually handle horses. Let's say you're trying to load a horse in a horse trailer and he's trying to leave, get away from you, rear up, throw a fit, spin around, do all that kind of stuff. If I can uh, physically use my body well and um, brace at a certain time against that rope or pull at a certain time using my entire body weight, uh, I can have a huge impact. If I don't have those coordinated skills and that kind of strength, that horse might be getting away from me. So, You learn to use your body efficiently and in ways that allow you to leverage your strength when you're doing all this heavy lifting and, you know, wrestling around with a fractious horse. For riding, depending on the level at which you participate in riding sports, riding requires dynamic balance on an unstable platform and By that, I mean it's a balance in motion when you're riding a horse and you're sitting on a platform that could potentially move in any direction at any time, uh, goes up and down and sideways. And because it's a live animal action, there's, there's a certain unpredictability. So it gives you a certain instability in terms of your balance. So balance and what goes along with that is core strength and core coordination these things impact your balance greatly. Again, I'm going to say it at least one more time. It's not that you have to have, you know, incredible ab strength or a six pack. It's that the more you improve your core strength and coordination, the better a rider you're going to become and the easier riding will be for you. Also, bilateral strength and coordination is super important in riding. If you don't know this by now, you should know that the bilateral weaknesses you have in your body directly correlate to the way your horse performs. We like to pretend this isn't true. And we like to pretend that if your horse is dropping its shoulder every time you turn to the left, that you should do something different with the reins or try to do something different with your horse's training. When the truth is, it's probably just because you're dropping your shoulder. Also in cueing, obviously, you need to be able to use your right and left sides in a balanced way. 
most of us, particularly if you're older like me, I'm in my 60s and been pretty active all my life and I'm in great shape and my back is in great shape. So I have those things going for me. However, I have an old knee injury from skiing on my left knee. It impacts the entire left side of my body. I have weakness in the entire left side of my body in spite of decades of exercise. And I have learned exactly how it impacts my riding. And every single day when I'm working out, I think about that imbalance between my right and left. And I make an effort to strengthen and build coordination on the left side of my body to match the right side of my body. And I understand how that reflects on my horse's performance. So that bilateral strength and coordination is something that you can improve through exercise. So that's another reason why it matters. And then at just the end of the day, you need good endurance. This is an active sport. And most activities that we do, whether we're talking about trail riding or horse showing or training young horses, um, most of it requires your endurance. You got to be able to, you know, ride through a significant amount of trotting and cantering and all that high endurance, high aerobic kind of activity when you're riding. Who are we talking about in terms of a fitness plan? Almost anyone can improve their fitness and condition. And again, any incremental improvement is going to help you be successful in your horsemanship pursuits. I'm not saying you need to be buff. I'm not saying you need to sport a six pack. I'm just saying if you will come on this journey to just improve your fitness in a small way, it is going to help you with your riding and it is going to help you accomplish your goals. Let's think about some specific scenarios where this might help. Let's say you're planning this summer or this fall on your horse goals or bust plan. You have set a goal to go on an epic horse camping and trail riding trip to the Rocky Mountains of Wyoming. And you are planning a four or five day camping trip with your husband and two horses. And you can't just embark on that trip tomorrow. There is going to be a lot of preparation, starting with your conditioning plan. Now, I happen to live in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, not Wyoming, although I've done quite a lot of trail riding in Wyoming. And I have seen every year of my life of the uh, nearly 40 years I've lived here, every fall when hunting season comes around, there will be people that haul two or more horses in from a low-lying state, one or two states away, maybe three states away. They will unload horses that probably haven't been ridden or saddled since the last time they were on a hunting trip in Colorado last fall. And those horses are going to get the hair ridden off of them in the mountains in steep, rocky terrain they're going to slip, trip, and fall. And they're also going to be affected by the altitude, just as their human companions are. And um, they're going to have a miserable go of it. Whereas if you just paid the neighbor kid to ride that horse for a month before your trip, things could go much differently for everybody. So planning uh, an epic trip like that is something you've got to start on way in advance. And conditioning 
for you and the horse, really of all the things you're going to have to prepare for, this one's going to take the longest. And that's why we're starting on it now. Here's another idea for you. Maybe your plan, as are uh, both of the students we've been following, part of their goals involve attending multi-day horsemanship clinics, sometimes in brand new disciplines. So that's really important that you show up with a horse that's fit, that's used to his tack, that's sound, that is uh, well prepared for the clinic. I can't tell you how many times in the last few years, I can tell you it has only been a handful of times, but every time it astounds me. Almost every clinic I've done, I've had someone show up with a horse that hasn't been ridden one single time in the past year. And they arrive at a two-day clinic. The horse usually emotionally is having a meltdown because it doesn't understand what's going on. And it's painfully out of shape. It's not going to be able to hang with the entire clinic, even though we were really careful not to overstress horses. You know, you need to have ridden your horse some before you show up at a clinic. So ideally, to get the most out of your weekend and to have maximum learning and maximum training on your horse, you arrive at that clinic with your horse very fit, very legged up. And, and you have the ability to ride that fit horse all day long to take advantage of every single learning opportunity that there's going to be that weekend. Maybe you're competing in a new discipline this year, uh, going to a horse show, rodeo event, whatever, endurance ride, competitive trail ride, mounted orienteering. Maybe it's not a new discipline for you, but you're competing with a new horse this year. Maybe you've been doing mounted shooting forever. But this year you're riding a brand new horse. There needs to be some coming together, some some um, conditioning, and that horse needs to be prepared for a new type of activity. Maybe it's the first time competing for the horse and the rider, and we want to make sure both of you are set up for the greatest success so that you can focus on the other really difficult aspects about competition. So all of this is going to involve serious training and injury prevention is going to be critical. If you're going to put, you know, months into training and preparation for a competition and then you end up injuring your horse right before the competition, it's, it's just horrible. It's the worst feeling in the world and, you know, no competition and worst of all, you, you've got a hurt horse. So maybe your deal is you're starting a young horse under saddle. You're dealing with an untrained horse under saddle. This horse needs conditioning. He probably hasn't been exercising himself. Even if he's turned out to pasture and whatnot, he doesn't have fitness and muscularity that's going to allow him to safely carry the weight of a rider. He's not going to have the endurance he needs to develop the work ethic in the horse, the drive in the horse. And, you know, obviously it's important to set up that young horse for success. So another scenario I can think of very common why conditioning is important is maybe you have a horse or you yourself are returning to riding after a significant layoff. Maybe it's just that you live in the frozen north and you haven't been able to ride your horse for five months. Maybe you or your horse are recovering from illness or injury. Maybe in the case of my little mare this time next year, 
or maybe a little bit longer, <laughs> in a year and a half, she's going to be recovering from having been pregnant and giving birth and, you know, raising that baby. And we all know what toll that can take on your body. So another scenario is maybe you have a brand new horse to you. This is a critical stage where you are working on building a relationship with that horse. You may, uh, maybe your, your new horse has just come out of a formal training program and you want to kind of keep up with that training, keep that horse in condition, keep his training uh, fresh and moving forward. For me, the conditioning, I've been a fitness buff for a long time, so I'm always trying to figure out where I need to go with my fitness. But for my mare, it's really important that she comes into breeding season slim and fit. Uh, I want to be able to, as springtime approaches, start increasing her calories every day because that also helps mimic springtime conditions. So that will help with her breeding. So the natural order for horses is that in nature, they would lose weight in the winter and gain weight in the spring when the green grass starts coming in and their, you know, their nutritional value increases in their forage. So it's great to have a horse right now that I'm thinking about breeding that is super fit, slender, and we can start easing her into increasing her feed amount. If she were fat and out of shape, I wouldn't be able to do that. So just the other day, I was admiring how great Annie looked. I was complimenting her on her svelte figure. But then sadly, I had to remind her that even though she's getting everything she ever wanted in life by getting a baby, she's going to have to say goodbye to that girlish figure for at least for a couple of years. So... Hopefully, if things go well, we'll get that back. Let's talk for a minute about rider fitness. In my blog this month, I went into extensive detail about rider fitness. I created a fitness test for equestrians. I'm going to have a link to that available for you in the show notes. I also created a fitness test score sheet and tracking sheet for you that will allow you to First, take that test initially and then get a baseline score. And then every six weeks, we're going to retest and, and see how we can chart the improvement in fitness for both horse and rider. So for the rider, we looked at different areas of fitness that I think are particularly relevant to the sport of riding. Uh, we looked at cardio or your aerobic capacity, core strength, flexibility, body composition, mounted balance and endurance. And we did a simple little test, short, you know, under two minute test in each of these different areas. I believe there's two tests in each area. And it's just a simple way to quantify your baseline fitness. So there's no need to, nobody's going to see it but you. Uh, maybe your buddy that if you have a buddy, your friend you're doing this with, and, um, you know, it doesn't pay to cheat because we're just trying to see improvement. So this score initially is just to get your baseline. We also have a section on considering your health and well-being. So beyond physical fitness, your health and well-being is super important. In fact, it precedes physical fitness. So 
your health and your emotional and mental well-being also are hugely impactful on your ability to ride horses, work with horses, build relationships with horses. So whether we're talking about confidence, anxiety, some kind of health condition, pain, joint pain, what have you, any of those things have to be addressed before fitness. And they should be considered equally in in any kind of fitness and conditioning program that you're going to do. And this is especially true for humans where these questions are easier answered, but it's also true for your horse. I want my horse to be happy in his job, comfortable in his work, not miserable in it. Um, So health and well-being is an important category to consider. I talked about that a lot in my blog. And um, I've already talked to you a little bit about why each of these categories of fitness are important to your riding. But balance, coordination, endurance, core strength, these are super important to becoming a good rider. And uh, the more you can improve it, the better. So take the test. Again, the test and your score worksheet are in the show notes. You can also visit my blog at juliegoodnight.com slash blog and read the full article there. Take the test to get a baseline score, and then we're going to check again. We've been following two of my online students, longtime students I've had, who were generous enough to share their goal planning and let us talk about the goals they've set for themselves. And they have also completed the fitness assessment already. So I thought I'd give you just a quick update on where they are. Elisa actually has been a fitness buff for some time. She's in great shape. She does a lot of weightlifting and crazy uh, gnarly stuff like that. And in part, as a result of that, she's actually dealing with some physical issues. She's got some tendonitis in her elbows. That's going to have an impact on her riding and just her life in general. I, I speak from the voice of experience on that and have dealt uh, with tendonitis in both elbows extensively in my career. I've uh, cured myself of it for now. That's another story. But um, so she's got some physical issues she's going to need to resolve. And she's also got some emotional, mental, and well being issues that she needs to address. She's got a very stressful job. She's got a young son at home. She's got, you know, horses to contend with. And a lot of this stuff is weighing heavily on her and she just wants to get her, you know, get her joy back in her life. And so she's going to have to do some, I would say, mental fitness, mental exercises to get herself in a place where she can start achieving more in her riding. And she also desperately loves the kind of workout that she does. So she wants to be able to stay with that too. Um, She believes it helps her with her stress at work and all of that. So she's trying to balance all these things out. And her fitness assessment was more about helping her find balance. For Karma Lee, my other student, clear on the other side of the country, she actually is in a much different position in that, you know, in the last decade or so, she's been recovering from massive injury from a car wreck. 
and she was unable to walk for quite some time. She came to horse sports because she was prescribed therapeutic riding to help her regain the ability to walk. And I don't, I can't remember, that was 15, 20 years ago by now. When I first met her 10 years ago or more, she could only walk very short distances and mostly with the assistance of crutches. Today, through physical therapy and through all the serious exercise and activities she does with horses, Carmely owns two horses, works with numerous other horses, teaches riding lessons, and has very ambitious riding goals and horse training goals for herself. So her fitness goals and what she discovered in her workout were more uh, about balancing out her physical strength where she needs it, getting more core strength to help her. She determined that she needed to ride trotting horses more. Both her personal horses are gated. And consequently, she doesn't necessarily use the same amount of core strength that she would on a normally gated horse. So she's she's added that to her fitness goals. I thought that was pretty cool and more riding uh, bareback as well to help with her balance. She's, you know, about the same age as I am. So um, because balance declines with age, the older we get, the harder we have to work on maintaining balance. For me, I took the fitness test. I took it twice, actually, because I rewrote the test a little bit after I took it. And uh, I did it with my pal, Lucy, my exercise buddy. And I was glad to have a friend. We both did pretty well on the test. We work out regularly and we have been doing a lot of Pilates and a lot of planking. So we had more endurance in some of those areas than we thought. So I was happy with my results. By the way, the test's only going to take you 20 or 30 minutes. Again, I encourage you to do it with a friend. There is a riding component, so you'll have to do that on a day when you're at the barn and your horse is saddled up and ready to go, but it's only going to take you about 20 minutes, including the warm-up. I was really happy with the progress I feel like I've made on my core strength and my core stability in particular. I've been doing a lot of Pilates, and that really helps you with the coordination of your different abdominal muscles and and you learn to use those muscles independently and that really helps your riding. So I have realized I have a deficit in terms of dealing with my bad knee as I mentioned earlier. So in an effort to improve that, I started back on a uh, supplement program for myself. I'm taking loading dose of Cosamin, which is a joint health product uh, made for humans. It's the same makers of Cosequin, which is a joint health supplement made for horses. And I was taking it for a long time and for some reason stopped. And I uh, stopped for several years, in fact. And my knee has been fairly painful. And I just thought it was because I was getting older but I started the Cosamin and I've been shocked at the result. I mean, actually within a couple of days, I could feel a difference. And now I'm several weeks in and I'm just dealing with a lot less pain in that one joint. So that, I'm really happy about that. And I'm glad I made that part of my priorities and my health and wellness plan. So be sure to check out my blog at juliegoodnight.com slash blog for more information on rider fitness 
and uh, for help developing your own personal fitness plan. It doesn't have to be difficult. It does not have to be complicated. I'm a very firm believer that fitness should be fun or you're not going to do it. So read my blog for more hints on that. Also check out my five pound challenge group on Facebook if you want more uh, help and support. And now let's turn our attention to fitness with your horse. Fitness for your horse relates to his ability to do his job in a stress-free manner without getting fatigued or injured. It's that simple. Well, you want your horse to be able to do his job well without getting injured and to be able to do it with a certain amount of strength and endurance that's not overwhelming to him. One great thing about conditioning your horse is that there are many aspects of horse training that could be done at the same time you're embarking on a conditioning program with a horse. Not everything, but for instance, if maintaining a collected frame is a part of your conditioning program, well, that could also be part of your training program as well. And different aspects of the activities that you do with your horse can be worked into your conditioning program, whether you're training to improve the horse's obedience, to improve his work ethic. These things as well can be addressed in a conditioning program. So that's kind of nice to be able to double task with your horse. One thing I want to touch on before we get too much into the weeds on a conditioning program for your horse is that uh, kind of elusive and ambiguous aspect of your horse's physical condition is his energy level and how he feels to you. Um, If you've been with your horse for a while, you've ridden him a lot, or you've worked with him a lot on the ground, you're with him on a daily basis, you know how he normally feels, you know what his normal energy level is like, and so you should be able to detect changes in that. Again, as I said, this is vague in nature, but energy level and the feel of a horse can change daily. And um, you kind of need to pay attention to this. Uh, when he feels frisky, and conversely, when he feels sluggish or depressed. Um, There could be a good reason. Maybe he's feeling frisky because he's getting fit, and it's Monday, and he hasn't been ridden for a couple of days. I want to see that. That's a good sign. It's a green light to me. But maybe it's sluggishness when he shouldn't be feeling it, or depression when he shouldn't be feeling it. And so that tells me to try to understand, is there something deeper going on here? Pay attention to it and go with your instinct. No one knows your horse better than you, assuming you've had your horse for a while. And go with your gut instinct there. You know, your horse is not going to gain fitness without you pushing him a little bit and pushing his level of physical stress a little bit. But if there are underlying conditions or undetected health concerns, Your feel of the horse may be the very first hint that you have that there is something underlying going on. So I can't tell you how many times I've said or I've heard people say, you know, my horse just doesn't feel right to me. And you'll learn to go with your gut on that and say, you know, I think I'm just going to back off a little bit today, do less today, put my horse away, whatever, watch him a little more closely just to be on the safe side. So there are some preliminary concerns to evaluate with each individual horse before we get too far into assessing his condition 
or improving his condition. One thing is the horse's body weight. You need to be able to gauge if the horse is overweight or underweight. Veterinarians are going to most commonly use the Hineke body condition score system. And this is a way to score your horse from zero to nine with uh, one being an extremely skinny horse, zero being a malnutritioned horse near death, one being very skinny, and nine being a morbidly obese horse. And we would like a reasonably fit horse to be somewhere in the five score. So you can look online for a body condition score for horses and read a little bit about that test or some information on my website as well. If you have a horse that's scoring very high in the obesity range, we want to be careful with a conditioning program. This horse is going to be prone to injury. It's going to have to start this conditioning program at a very low baseline level. And if your horse is too skinny, well, that's going to give you a problem in terms of building muscle and building endurance because he'll only eat so much in a day. And if he's already behind and we embark on a conditioning program and start burning more calories in that horse, uh, we're going to have to really get serious on a nutritional program for that horse, maybe get some professional help, maybe spend a little extra money on high quality feed and forage and try to build him up, make sure that you're not over conditioning him and losing some, some of that weight. Obviously, health concerns are another consideration before embarking on any kind of conditioning program. Soundness is included in that, any kind of lameness problem, any sickness, old injuries. If in doubt, get clearance from a vet before starting on much. If you ask for a soundness exam, that vet can also help you assess that horse's conditioning and might have some valuable input on how to get started on a conditioning program for that horse. And then finally, one of our preliminary considerations is the age of the horse. Is he too young or is he too old? That's basically where we're getting at here. A very young horse, we can start on a conditioning program as young as a weanling and yearling, but it's going to involve very short hand walks you know, like walk to the end of the driveway and back twice a day or once a day. And that's about all you would do with a very young horse. Um, as that horse comes to three, four years old, he can start managing increasing amounts of exercise. But then when we get on the higher end of the scale, that geriatric horse, that horse is say, you know, 15 mid-teens and higher. Maybe this horse has already you know, had a very high level active performance career and as a result has performance injuries and old injuries, arthritis, that kind of thing uh, that we have to be careful of. An older horse naturally begins to lose conditioning as they age. And so it may be that our conditioning program with a geriatric horse is just to prevent that aging, just to prevent that loss of conditioning. So we may be looking at that older horse's scores on his progress sheet much differently than that young horse that's up and coming. In order to assess your horse's current fitness level and in the future, we're going to rely most heavily on 
measuring his pulse and respiration. These things aren't very hard to do. Respiration is super easy to measure. A stethoscope will make it easier to measure your horse's pulse if you have difficulty feeling for the pulse under the jaw of the horse. And, you know, stethoscopes are a handy thing to have anyway. It can help you listen to gut sounds and that kind of stuff too. And they're not very expensive. So I would encourage you to buy a cheap stethoscope if you don't have one, uh, just to have in your barn and have in your first aid kit. If you have a stethoscope, you can take the pulse in just behind the elbow of the horse. So if you are standing on the left side of the horse, right by his shoulder, you're going to reach with the stethoscope right kind of into the armpit of the horse between his elbow and his body cavity. You're going to bury your hand up in there pretty far, as far as you can get it kind of up into that armpit area. And then uh, lightly press the stethoscope against the chest wall, and you should be able to hear the whoosh, 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 whoosh of the heart. You're going to look at your watch with a second hand or a timer that has a second hand, and you're going to count the pulse for a full minute. A horse's at-rest heart rate could be quite low, and that's why counting for a full minute will give you a more accurate reading. So another fairly easy way to check your horse's pulse without a stethoscope is to just simply reach up underneath the jaw of the horse. Um, generally, we're going to do this on the left side. You're going to reach under the jawbone, curl your fingers into the groove between the horse's jaw and kind of press towards you into the bone just a little bit. You're, you're trying to feel for a cord-like structure. And when you put slight pressure on that cord-like structure, you should be able to feel the pulse. You're going to have to feel around and practice. If you just feel around forever and you can't find it, maybe your vet can show you the next time he or she is there. Uh, but that would be the most convenient method uh, if you can get handy at feeling the pulse from underneath the jaw of the horse. When it comes to counting respirations, uh, again, you're going to count for a full minute because horses sometimes will kind of pause in their breathing Horses at rest respiration can be quite low. So to get an accurate read, you're going to want to count for a full minute. You can count the horse's respiration by either watching their flank, putting a hand on their flank if that doesn't bother them, or just simply stand at the horse's head and watch his nostrils. If that horse has been under exercise, there should be quite a bit of nostril flare. You can actually watch the air moving in and out. Look for how much nostril flare that horse has. It's an indication of how far you pushed his aerobic capacity. Those nostrils have a huge ability to dilate when the horse is at full aerobic capacity. So I want to kind of get a read on my horse's aerobic level by knowing how dilated his nostrils are at the moment. Remember, a horse cannot breathe through his mouth uh, like us. We can breathe through both the mouth and the nose. And so as we go to more strenuous exercise, a lot of times we start using both mouth and nose or breathe more through the mouth because we can gulp in more air. A horse can only breathe through the nostrils and he at full max VO2 is going to take in a huge amount of air. It's like 
you know, over a gallon, close to a gallon and a half of air. So those nostrils are going to get really big when he's at max VO2. So get used to that as kind of a, a nice way to monitor your horse's aerobic level, but uh, also it's a way to help you count respirations. Now, you should know what normal vital signs are for horses in general and for your horse in particular. In a perfect world, you would uh, take your horse's temperature, pulse, and respirations regularly so you know what they are baseline and at rest. That makes it super easy to detect when your horse is having a problem. And increased at rest heart rate will be one of the earliest signs that a horse is in pain or struggling you know, with his health or stress level. So a horse's pulse, uh, once you get used to taking that, you know, an, a normal pulse is going to be somewhere between 20 and 40 beats per minute on a horse. That is going to vary greatly with your horse's condition level. Super, super fit horse might have an at-rest pulse of 20. And, you know, an average type riding horse is probably going to be in the low to mid 30s for an at-rest um, heart rate. And the at-rest heart rate can be very difficult to determine on a horse because just the act of taking his pulse might make his pulse rate go up. And so one reason why you want to get in the habit of taking your horse's pulse regularly and preferably with just your fingers reaching up under his jaw is because if you, every time you walk in a stall to say hello in the morning, you kind of pet him a little bit, whisper some sweet nothings and reach under there and take that pulse after a few times, it'll seem normal to him. And so you'll be getting a more accurate reading of at rest pulse. And then you're going to check throughout your workout to tell you how much stress you're actually putting the horse under. So normal respirations are going to be between 8 and 16 on a horse. But look, when a horse is in heavy work, respirations could go over 100 a minute. So there's a great deal of expansion available there. Most uh, average working horses are probably going to be in the 60 to 80 range, not spike as high as 100. But it's possible a racehorse spike might be as high as 120 uh, on a sprint so or even higher. So there's a big range there too, but 8 to 16 is normal and you should know what's pretty normal for your horse in that range. Um, temperature 99 to 100 on a horse and we're not going to go into that. That has more to do with health than fitness, except to say that if your horse is really hot under intense exercise, his temperature is probably going to go up too. So uh, that's something you can kind of monitor. Also, the range of normal is 99 to 101, but your horse is going to have a number in there which is normal for him. It's going to be, you know, 100, 100.5, 99.5, maybe even 101. So it's best to know what's normal for your horse when he's healthy so that if you see a little bit higher, could be a red flag, something we want to keep a look on. Uh, you know, the final vital sign we talk about generally that your vet might ask about is capillary refill. Again, this is more to do with your horse's health and less to do with his fitness. But you should know how to gauge your horse's capillary refill by simply taking your thumb, pressing it on the gums above his front teeth, 
Uh, you press hard for four or five seconds and then you release it and it'll be stark white when you release it. But if your horse has good capillary refill, within one to two seconds, the gum will become pink again. You should also notice the color of your horse's gums in a normal situation when he's healthy. Again, that has more to do with health. But let's say your horse was having a heat exhaustion event because you're at some kind of crazy hot competition and he's exerting himself. Uh, you could see signs of that heat stroke in the capillary refill of your horse. So these are all important things for you to know about your horse, helps you monitor his health and fitness better, and helps you know more about your horse. So spend a little time to try to determine what your horse's resting heart rate is first. This alone is a big part of your fitness test. It by itself is an indicator of your horse's fitness. If your horse's resting heart rate is as low as 20, he's probably already pretty fit. If it's up high in the high 30s, 40s, he's not fit. So it gives us an idea of where we're starting from. Getting the resting heart rate is very challenging on horses because they are flight animals. They do imagine um, things real and not real, and they can talk themselves into a panic fast. So those characteristics can easily affect and instantly affect heart rate. So take it over like a week every, you know, get the horse used to it by doing it same time, same way. Um, take it over a week and then average that, what you got. And um, that'll probably give you a pretty solid figure. Active heart rate, we're going to be measuring and charting on our conditioning program. So you're going to, on occasion, measure your active heart rate on your horse when you begin exercising, possibly midway through the exercise. And you want to definitely check that heart rate immediately after the most intense part of your exercise, before recovery time, before cooling your horse out. We're looking for the spike in heart rate. So we're looking for the highest heart rate. And then we're going to check again, 15 minutes and 30 minutes to see how quickly the horse is returning to the recovery heart rate or, or the heart rate that you started with, the active heart rate. So let's talk a little bit about the actual fitness test you're going to do with your horse. First of all, and uh, maybe this is obvious, but I'm going to say it in a way that double underlines, make certain your horse is sound he has no health concerns, and he is not being treated for any current medical conditions. If so, if any of the above is true or has been recently true, you need to get this horse cleared by a veterinarian before starting a training program. Just like we say for people, this is for your horse's safety. You've already considered your horse's age, his weight, and his health condition. Um, so now we're going to actually do the fitness test. It's going to be quite simple. It's going to involve, uh, first of all, you're going to warm your horse up for 10 minutes. I'd prefer you do this test mounted on your horse or with some rider mounted on your horse because that's weight bearing. And if your goals involve a riding endeavor, it's weight bearing exercise mostly we're going to focus on. But maybe you have a situation where your horse is not ready to be ridden yet or you yourself are not physically able to complete the riding test, 
then do this by lunging your horse, either free lunge or on a very long line in an arena with good footing. Uh, but we're going to start with a 10-minute warm-up, followed by a 10-minute long trot. We're going to set a timer, and you're going to go start to finish at the long trot. What do I mean by long trot? I mean your horse is extended. He's in the working trot. He's using sort of maximum ground covering pace, and he's going to maintain that pace throughout the 10 minutes. If you already know your horse doesn't have that much cardio endurance, then you might either go at a slightly slower pace or consider a five to seven minute trot instead of a 10. But we're going to try to shoot for a 10 minute trot because I think that's going to give you the most accurate reflection on the average horse. Immediately upon the timer going off at the 10 minute mark of your trot, you are going to stop, hop off, and take your horse's pulse and respiration immediately. Do not give him time to cool down. Don't even give him time to walk back to the barn. Take it immediately. You're trying to get the highest spike of heart rate. After that, you can let the horse cool down. You can let him just stand there. You could walk him a little bit, but we want him to rest, uh, have maximum rest now. And you're going to take your pulse and respiration again at 15 minutes and compare the score. In order to monitor your horse's fitness over time, we're going to take this test again in six weeks and then in another six weeks. In order for the numbers to really work and to make sense, when you do this fitness test, it's important for you to make note of the test conditions as best as possible. So take note of how much time you spent in the warm-up and what you did in the warm-up. Take note of the footing, the weather, the time of day, anything that you could think of that could impact your horse's scores. Because when it comes time to take this test again, you want to be able to replicate all of that as closely as possible. The only way you could really 100% replicate it is if it were done in a laboratory on a treadmill, but not very many of us are going to be able to do that. So we want to uh, just make note of the conditions under which you, you executed the test and try to mimic those conditions on um, the next time you do it. I've created a worksheet to help you with this. It's going to, again, be in the show notes for this episode of the podcast. And it's going to help remind you of how to do the test and also how to measure your results. And then it's going to allow you to track improvement over the coming months. So again, check out the show notes for that. Let's talk a minute about interpreting your results from your simple little 10-minute fitness test with your horse. First of all, over time, as your horse's fitness increases, that spike that you saw in the heart rate initially is going to start flattening out. You'll see that in the horse's physical response as well, the flaring of the nostril, uh, the respiration rate, all of that's going to start flattening out um, and you're going to see these incremental improvements. If you've just taken your 10-minute long trot test, mounted or from the ground, and then you took your finishing heart rate immediately after the most intense part of the exercise, if that heart rate returns to the active pre-exercise heart rate within 15 minutes, your horse already has a pretty good baseline of fitness. 
He's already in decent shape. More fitness is going to help him, but you're starting at a pretty good place. Also, if his heart rate comes back to the pre-exercise active heart rate within 15 minutes, then that 10-minute trot did not really stress your horse's uh, condition. So in other words, in order for you to get more conditioning out of that horse, you're going to have to do more than a 10-minute trot. In order to gain conditioning, you have to push the envelope a little bit. You have to apply a little bit of stress to the cardio system. And that's where your gain in fitness comes from. So now, you know, if that horse returned to his regular heart rate in 15 minutes, we need to design a conditioning program that's a little more active than that. If you or your horse cannot complete the 10-minute trot, it simply means your baseline fitness is lower than average and that you may be starting from scratch in a fitness program. And that's fine. A minimal amount of exercise is going to give you increase in fitness. So that's going to make it easier to do. You can, as I said, use a five to seven minute trot for your test if you want and start your baseline there. But the same principles apply. You want to push the horse, then get that finishing heart rate, and then again in 15 minutes. If it took 30 minutes for your horse's heart rate to return to a normal level, that 10-minute trot was probably enough activity to grow your horse's fitness level. Uh, So the 10-minute trot may be right where you need to be in terms of your starting point for your conditioning plan. But again, if in 30 minutes he's still not down to that uh, regular heart rate uh, or you couldn't complete the 10 minutes, uh, we're probably starting from a very baseline of zero there. So factor that into your exercise regimen. Now let's talk about developing the actual fitness plan for your horse. Again, the worksheet's going to help you with this. But in general, a horse will maintain its current level of fitness for about three weeks of inactivity before it starts losing fitness. And after that, it's going to lose fitness rapidly. And by eight weeks, that horse will have lost almost all of its physical conditioning and you may be starting from scratch on that horse. So for a lot of people, that could be just a layoff for the winter. It could certainly easily encompass layoff from an injury or illness, uh, either horse or rider. And also just recognize if your horse has to have a week off here or there or a few days here and there, you're not starting over from there. He's going to maintain some fitness for a little bit. So one really common way that people think about a fitness program for a horse is that for every one day the horse was laid off, it needs one day of conditioning to get back in shape. So if your horse was laid off for 90 days from an injury or because that horse needed rest after a very long and challenging season last year, you need to start legging that horse up 90 days out from when you plan to start doing stuff seriously with him. So for every one day the horse has been laid off, he needs one day of a conditioning program um, to get back to sort of to the status quo. Another thing that you want to consider before you get too detailed on the fitness plan for your horse is just to review your outcome goals. We worked on setting very specific, attainable, and measurable goals with your horse. So just review them one more time 
think about what your deadlines are. Think about how your horse's condition does relate to your goals. What specific activities can you be training for in this conditioning plan? Consider the environment and the the environmental conditions that the horse will have to work in in order for you to accomplish your goals. And try to mimic those as best you can. Maybe that involves working in hills, deep sand, hard ground, you know, inclement weather. Maybe it involves working by himself or working in a big crowd of horses. Maybe this special activity that you're training for is a speed event or involves some kind of burst of speed versus a long distance event. In other words, the outcome of your goals should be considered in developing your conditioning plan. A big question I get asked again and again and again, and this has been so over the years, so I know it's a big question on your mind, is how many days a week do I have to work my horse in order to get somewhere? And the answer is not going to be as bad as you think it is. I think minimally three days a week for 20 to 30 minutes um, is what you need to have a good conditioning plan for a horse. If you can exercise a horse five to six days a week for 15 minutes, you can really get somewhere with the horse. And if you can add cross training into your plan, so the horse actually is doing different types of activities, just as cross training helps people, it also helps horses develop strength and endurance and it keeps their attitude fresh. So if your activity involves mostly arena work, but you could get that horse out on an outside hack once a week, let him do some hill work for his exercise, that's going to keep your horse's mind fresh as well. So think about that cross-training in terms of mental help as well as physical. So in your conditioning plan, uh, let's talk for a minute about walk, trot, canter. You know, if you're starting at the lowest level of fitness or if you have a very old horse or a very young horse, walking is going to be where you start. Maybe that's weight bearing. Maybe it's just on a lead line. But just walking 10 or 15 minutes at a marching pace uh, will go a long way to condition a horse at starting at zero. However, Anything beyond that, if you're training for any kind of activity that, you know, involves more and the horse needs to be more athletic, more physically fit, trotting is the most efficient gait when it comes to conditioning. In other words, your horse can trot a lot longer distances than he could gallop or canter. So trot is the most efficient ground covering gait as well. So we often think of trotting as the most useful gait in conditioning. However, cantering or galloping is where the horse gains the most speed. And there's actually a condition, if, you, if you've ever done any running or studied aerobics, we talk about max VO2, which is the maximum volume your lungs can hold when everything's fully dilated and you're consuming the most cardio output. There's a situation in horses with max VO2 at the gallop because they kind of fold their body in half and then they extend and expand it accordion style. Think of an accordion and think of that horse, that stride of that racehorse in slow motion, uh, the full stride from fully extended in that stride 
to all the way gathered up with his feet underneath him um, in preparation of pushing off for the next ride. So what can actually happen at a gallop pace is the horse's aerobic capacity increases because of that accordion action and the horse begins a one breath to one stride rhythm. And um, so all that to say that galloping and sprinting can also be useful for certain horses in certain conditioning activities. But obviously we're talking about pretty high level athletes here, not a horse that's old or young or just starting on low level conditioning. Hill work I mentioned before could be very useful. Maybe there's just a slight pitch to your driveway. Maybe there's a dirt ramp you walk up to go into or out of a barn. Maybe you have some hilly trail rides you could take. But a horse uses different muscles going both up and down hills and backing up and down hills. That's not something you want to do a lot of. But these conditions, different muscles in your horse's hind end, and in particular, can help strengthen their stifle joints and prevent injury to the stifle. So hill work could be highly useful. Sometimes people have the ability to work horses in deeper footing, just like running on the beach for yourself. That can help increase aerobic capacity on that horse in a shorter amount of time. Just make sure when we talk about these more ambitious conditioning exercises that you build up to that. Uh, remember, it takes longer to strengthen your horse's tendons and ligaments and bones than it does to strengthen his muscles. So long and building is what's really important. Just touch briefly on what you can expect from your conditioning um, I've already said over and over, this is going to be the longest aspect of your training program. So we want to get started now, but you're going to see improvement right away, whether you're talking about yourself or your horse. You know, when I, let's say I'm doing a new kind of workout or um, for some reason I haven't been working out for a couple of weeks or something. After the first day, I'm like, wow, God, I didn't realize how bad out of shape I was. But by the second day, I'm already feeling improvement. If that exercise happens to involve working on my balance, by the second day, I'm seeing significant improvement. So there's going to be some of that. But in general, we're going to see the results of a conditioning program over time. Let's talk about your horse. After a full month of your conditioning program, whether it's big or small, you should start recognizing some physical changes in your horse you should start seeing a slimmer underline. In other words, his belly's not quite protruding so bad. You'll see muscle development in the flank, abdomen, hindquarter of the horse. You will notice he's breathing more efficiently. His heart rate is not spiking as high. Maybe if 10-minute trot is where you started on your conditioning program when you first started, you know, he was really huffing and puffing and sweaty at the end of 10 minutes. And now he's kind of maintaining a steady rate of breathing. He's not breaking out of sweat. These things you will see after 30 days. After 60 days, you're going to really start seeing muscle development, changes to your horse's top line, changes to his bottom line, definitely changes to his endurance ability. And then after 90 days of that conditioning program, 
you ought to expect to have a pretty fit horse. He should look significantly different. You know, it wouldn't be a bad idea to take a before picture of your horse and then take a picture of him after 30, 60, and 90 days from the same profile point of view and standing kind of in the same place from the same distance. To have that pictorial documentation of the changes in your horse's body could be really fun to see. And uh, if you're a nerd like me and you like to keep numbers and records, you could uh, print that out and put it in your little record book too. So that's what I would expect. As we continue our conditioning program, more than 90 days, we're probably having to increase the exercise level and intensity to continue to build strength. So, you know, this is a big undertaking. It's a big undertaking with your horse. It's a huge undertaking and commitment for yourself to be a better rider, to become more fit, to get in better health. So it's going to take a long time and it's best to get started today. For both the horse and the rider, conditioning will take time, but it is well worth the investment and you'll start seeing improvement right away. You will see results if you are committed to this and your horse is going to thrive on the consistency that he's getting, the regular work that he can expect to have, the time he spends with you. All of that's going to be huge for him. Next month, kind of parallel to what we've talked about today, we are going to address skill assessment for both horse and rider. We're going to look at where your strengths and weaknesses lie, where there might be holes in the training of your horse, holes in your own equitation training, and we're going to develop a plan to go about filling those holes. Remember, if you're just getting started on horse goals or busts, you can easily get caught up with us. Check the show notes for links to the previous worksheets and the previous blogs and podcasts about horse goals or busts. This is our chance to make the most out of this year, to accomplish your horsemanship goals, and to live your best horse life. And now, it's time for my favorite segment, What the Hey Q&A. Each month, we pick a few unique questions from our listeners and answer them on the air. So if you'd like to submit a question for the What the Hey segment, message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Question number one is from Susan. She says, do you have tips for winter riding and training for people who don't have access to an indoor arena on a regular basis? I live in Iowa and we just had 40 below wind chills. Well, Susan, I can certainly relate to that. I live in the high mountains of Colorado. We're a little over 8,000 feet of altitude, just below the Continental Divide. So, you know, winter kind of descends upon us with a, a vengeance. We do have an indoor arena. Well, one thing I can tell you is that there are many days in the winter that we will not work horses just because it's simply too cold for them. And, um, a couple of things happen. One is our indoor arena has passive solar gain. And on a sunny, cold day, and when it's coldest, it tends to be sunny. 
it can be significantly warmer in the indoor than than outside. So your riding temperature isn't bad. But when we get uh, really in the single digits, Fahrenheit is when we don't work horses because two things can happen. One is if the horse should sweat because it has a heavy winter hair coat and he's coming into a warmer environment and then working, he will be very cold when he goes back outside. And if you're working him later in the day, he's not going to dry. He's going to stay wet all night. And that is just, um, you know, at, you know, it's unacceptable for that horse. Um, we buy very expensive, heavyweight, high-tech blankets that have uh, moisture wicking insides just in case we end up with a horse that's a little bit damp and we want to make sure he does not get a chill when he goes back outside. Another thing that happens when it's ultra cold, and this wouldn't be riding inside, but it would be applied to riding or working a horse outside, is if the horse or person starts breathing very heavily in that cold a temperature, you can actually scorch your lungs. And um, I've had that experience myself, and it can cause uh, respiratory distress. It can cause a terrible cough irritation to your lungs, even bronchitis. So again, that's, you know, be unacceptable and very unfair to your horse. So when it's just that cold, you know, you just don't work horses. Now, when it comes to things you might be able to do with your horse in the winter without an indoor arena, I don't have any magic bullets for that, but I'll tell you what you have to be concerned about. Footing, obviously, number one, even if you don't have snow on the ground, there could be hard frozen ice underneath that could cause a horse to slip. I, uh, you know, after uh, several decades of living in the mountains of Colorado, I know for a fact, because I've witnessed it, the, the amount of injuries that horses sustain from slipping on the ice is significant. Sometimes you get to see it happen. Sometimes you don't. Hopefully you're not the cause of it. So um, already things are kind of treach for your horse in the winter because he just in his normal turnout, he could slip and fall on the ice and hurt himself. So, you know, footing is something to be very concerned about in this cold winter climate, working your horse up aerobically, getting him too warm in a very cold environment. You know, in a perfect world, you could haul once a week to an indoor arena or a protected arena, such as at your county fairgrounds or take a lesson with a trainer. Uh, we also battle road conditions in the winter. So traveling with your horse for us in the winter is often not worth it. We won't risk, uh, we won't risk traveling with horses in a trailer on slick roads. So that means there's probably three, four months in the winter. We're not going to go anywhere. But there could be time during that that the roads are clear, the ground is dry, and we could haul down to the fairgrounds or whatnot. Um, my biggest advice to you in terms of winter, if you don't have adequate facilities for training throughout the winter, is try to just simply maintain a connection with your horse. Visit him often groom him often, take him on walks where you can, bring him in the barn aisle and 
do silly stretches with him, play games with him, keep a connection so he doesn't forget who you are and so he doesn't get extremely dependent on the herd and forget all about you. So good luck. Uh, by the way, it's springtime is coming and uh, this will be behind you soon and you want to make sure you make the most of the warm months uh, and get it while you can. Question number two is from Denise. I have two yearling Belgian draft colts that are not afraid of anything. It is very hard to get them to step back using a line or flag. Do you have any advice? Well, <laughs> yes, Denise, my advice is that you get this figured out before they get much bigger. Look, big horses and draft horses in particular can easily sort of move into your space and lean and push on you. You know, think about the fact that they are bred and developed and have evolved to lean into and pull heavy weight. So it's very important with young horses of any age, but especially draft horses, that they learn not to come into your space, push on you or lean on you, that they are very respectful of boundaries. Now, I can tell from the nature of your question that these colts are not, or you wouldn't be having any trouble backing them up. I hope you have not over-desensitized them to a flag or stick or anything like that, the rope that you might use to back them up with. Over-desensitizing can get you into trouble, particularly with a more cold-blooded horse like this. But look, there is an amount of pressure that will cause them to back up and back off. You just need to find what it is. So there's a concept we call escalating the pressure or escalating the aids. And when you are teaching a young horse or an untrained horse to respond to a cue, you apply the cue in the lightest possible form and you wait for the horse to respond. If the horse does not begin to respond immediately, you escalate the pressure or increase the pressure of the cue until it causes a response. In your case, the escalation needs to happen fast and be huge. So you go from a simple cue of maybe, you know, raising your hands and shaking the rope and moving your feet to hissing and spitting and waving your arms, stomping your feet, throwing the rope you know, go escalate really fast to high pressure. Countless times people have said to me, no matter what I do, the horse won't back up. The horse won't respond. And then I'll take the horse and I will escalate the pressure a crazy amount in a short amount of time and the horse will respond. So it's just a simple matter of finding the amount of pressure that motivates change. I want to probably have a stick or a flag in my hand to kind of wave in the horse's face and move towards them as I ask in the back. Remember, you need to release the pressure on the slightest movement. That could be before the horse actually moves his feet and when he first just sucks back with his chest. So this is quite possible. Uh, you just haven't figured it out yet. And um, in the process, you're teaching these horses to ignore your cues. So this is something you really need to address, all kidding aside. There are plenty of videos and articles on my website that can help you with this. In particular, you should check out 
the groundwork portions of my daily doses of horsemanship homework, and that might bring you some perspective here. Good luck. And our final question comes from Connie. Our horse has boundary issues. He's 18 and he knows better, but my husband likes to, quote unquote, spoil him with treats and hugs. I am the one who has to remind him when I work with him. Will my horse be able to differentiate that crowding won't fly with me, even though it's okay with my husband? Well, Connie, the short answer is yes. He already differentiates between you and your husband. So maybe more accurately, the question should be, do my husband's actions with this horse impact how the horse responds to me? And the answer to that is a little uh, less clear. It's yes and no. So any interaction and relationship with any horse is a one-on-one thing. I have my relationship with the horse. You have your relationship with the horse. The horse responds to us as individuals in every way, shape, and form. So your horse will do things with your husband that he won't do with you and vice versa because he knows better. However, does it make it harder for your horse to comply when the rules are constantly changing? Absolutely. Is it stressful to your horse that the rules are constantly changing? Yes. The best practice is for everybody to handle the horse consistently. This is paramount procedure in large horse operations. We don't allow people to mishandle the horses and we don't allow people to handle the horses in ways different than what the horse is used to. This is for the health and well-being and training progression of the horse. So the good news is your horse discerns between you and your husband. Uh, The bad news is it's kind of unfair to your horse and it's kind of unfair to your husband too because your husband would have a lot better relationship with this horse if he didn't spoil him. Now, I know that the relationship between husband and wife is not always conducive to good horsemanship and to horsemanship training. So I'm going to give you this recommendation that you um, check out some information on my website. There's a ton of information about why spoiling horses, hand feeding treats, boundary issues lead to bad things with horses and why handling them appropriately and with consistency leads to really good things with horses. And so I would encourage you to maybe read through my library, find some articles that you think he might enjoy and print them out and just say, hey, I read an interesting article and I thought you might enjoy it. It might might help you understand, you know, how to have a better relationship with our good old horse. So that's my suggestion is just to try to delicately educate. And um, sometimes that that's better information coming from an unbiased third party than from your spouse. So little uh, horse advice, a little marriage advice there. So I'm afraid that's all the time we have for today. I appreciate you listening to my podcast. I hope you are very busy crafting your audacious horsemanship goals for this year 
getting in better shape and embarking on this journey with us. I hope you're inspired to accomplish something that's important for you. And if you feel like sharing, I'd love to read your comments. And I appreciate all your feedback, suggestions, and questions. Remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode and invite your equestrian friends to join us. Do you have a horse training question or issue you want me to talk about in an upcoming episode? To send your questions for What the Hay or any topic ideas that you have, please message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Ride On with Julie Goodnight is available wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts to rate and review it. It sure means a lot to me, and it helps new listeners find the podcast. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Julie Goodnight to get even more training advice and updates. And head to my online training academy for tons of free training resources, memberships, online coaching with me, and more at juliegoodnight.com slash academy. No matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse or refining your upper level skills, I hope you found some helpful information to make your horse life better. Thanks again for your insightful comments and for the five-star ratings so that more horse lovers like you and me can find this podcast. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening and please stay safe and enjoy the ride.